keep on listening to Jared's podcast. He's a great interviewer, <laughs> a really great interviewer. And that for that alone, worth listening to because great interviewers get great responses out of their guests. Welcome to Star of the Doubts. I'm your host, Jared Easley. Joining us today is Christina Cantor. She currently hails from Melbourne, Australia. She is a communication skills speaker, coach, and trainer. She's a podcast host, ukulele enthusiast, and you can learn more about what she's up to over at thecmethod.com. Christina, this isn't your first rodeo. Welcome back to Star of the Doubts. <laughs> Thanks so much, Jared. I'm so excited to be here. It's a pleasure. Yeah, I like it. And I've been meaning to have you back for ages, so it just worked out that now's the time and this is the place. So mm-hmm. absolutely, <laughs> let's do it. All right. <laughs> so those that may recall, because we're kind of digging into the archives here, you were on the show before, but that was a good probably two plus years ago, and a lot happens in two years in the online oh gosh, space. It's been that long. And yeah, your growth has been explosive in that time. So congratulations on that. But, <laughs> but for those that may recall, you were doing design, draw, speak, but that's not what you're up to now. So let's kind of play a little bit of catch up. Let's get the summary mm. of pivot from design, draw, speak. Not that you just threw that away. I mean, it's still out there, but you've kind of transitioned into some more something different. So let's talk about that. Yeah. So when we first had a chat, design, draw, speak was a podcast and a blog and resource for architecture and design students, helping them to be better at public speaking and presenting. And I started that because I was an architect at the time and that was what I knew at the time and that was the niche that I picked. And I did that for a good nine months. I was podcasting for that amount of time and I was speaking at schools and colleges and learning as much about online business as I could and that was amazing. But what happened was I I sort of, I guess I ran out of steam and a bit of enthusiasm for Design Draw Speak. Also because I was getting a lot of positive feedback from people in the online business world and from other podcasters and from people that weren't within that specific niche. And I thought, well, maybe I should start responding to the people who are giving me that, you know, all this great feedback. And also, you know, as I began to learn more and more about myself and what other people saw valuable in me, I realized that what I could offer was actually much broader than simply working only with people in the architecture industry and at that level. So I pivoted. I actually took a break from the show. I took a couple of months off just to rethink everything through and to digest everything and to come up with new ideas. And from that, I launched the C method as in letter C, and that stands for communication, connection, and creativity. Plus I'm a Christina. I know it's, <laughs> it's genius. And for me, it's a brand and a, a podcast. It's much more authentic to who I am. And it gives me a lot more flexibility with the content that I put out there. And I'm not restricted just to public speaking and presentation. So the topics that I cover in the podcast are it's public speaking, but it's also how do you be confident? How do you have the confidence to put yourself out there? And how do you challenge yourself and push yourself so that you can then achieve the things that you never thought possible. And of course, this all relates back to communication, but there's more opportunity there for me to explore other areas that I'm also interested in. Well, I love the name, the C method. So how did you come up with that? What was the moment where you're like, okay, this is it? I went through a number of ideas, like so many ideas, and I was going to make it specific to people in who are in podcasting 
But then again, I was like, oh, but that's too specific. Like, I don't want to just work with people who are podcasting. I want to work right. with professionals and business owners. And it took me a long time to work out who I wanted my audience to be. I sort of went from this very, very niche place to I have no idea because people were saying to me, well, everyone needs communication skills, Christina. You can help everyone. And what I came down to was, okay, I want to help business owners and I want to help young professionals. And I sort of, I brought it down to more of an age group. So I thought, well, I'm, you know, 28, 29, you know, I'm around that 30 age, age mark. I've got all this energy. I have this particular perspective. And I thought, okay, I want to work with people from age 25 to 35, just keeping it in that bracket. And the C method was, I feel like it's a generic enough brand that I could actually pivot again if I want without having to change the brand name again, right? Because yeah. it's always going to be, I can always say, oh, it's the Christina method. So I could become, I don't know, a fitness trainer and still call it the C method, right? It would still make sense. So that's, and everything that I teach, it, it's my method, right? It's what I've learned. It's what I'm sharing. And it's my own special take on teaching and when it comes to communication, speaking and, and confidence. Now, Christina, I think it's interesting that you know you had what you thought was a reasonable idea and, and all of the advice that I think you were getting, which was good advice at the time, was telling you, hey, niche down, you mm. know, do this. And so you, you played that card, if you will, but then you realized, okay, no, that's not exactly the best fit for what you wanted to do or what you wanted to accomplish. So I guess one of the things I wanted to ask you is what encouragement do you have to someone out there who's trying the textbook advice, but they're just not getting the results that they think they should be getting? In terms of picking a niche? Yeah, it could be niche, any, anything that you've learned since you've made that adjustment. Well, something that happened to me when I was got, starting on with this journey, you could call it, was that I started with what I knew, right? If you told me at the very beginning, Christina, start a podcast and start training courses and start coaching for business owners and for young professionals, I would have freaked out because I would not have had the confidence to do that. But what I did have confidence with was teaching people at the school, college and graduate level because I'd been there, right? Mm -hmm. I'd been there. I knew what it was like. And so I felt confident in teaching people about that and teaching people in that particular niche. As I built up that body of work and as I interviewed other professionals and as I met other business owners and I hung out and I learned more and more about business, I then began to build confidence in helping people outside that niche, right? So right. I would not have been able to do what I'm doing now two or three years ago because I just didn't have the experience. I didn't have the know-how. I didn't have the confidence to do it. I think it's interesting you say confidence because I, I mean, as long as I've known you, you've always just like <laughs> been super confident. <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah, you're, you're making rap <laughs> videos for people. And, I mean, yeah, you know, I, I don't I, think Christina lacks confidence. But, but some of the stuff you look at as me being confident, I kind of, I see that as being so new to the game that I had no idea what I was doing, right? And I didn't know that that wasn't something that people would normally do. Like I would just go, oh, I'm, I'm going to try this. And I think it's similar to when you look at children, and they seem to have this fearlessness about them. It's because they haven't been hurt yet. 
<laughs> right? They haven't failed. They don't know what dangers are lurking out there. So they're very, they're just like, la, 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 I'll just go and do it anyway. And <laughs> as business owners, like we know that sometimes you do have to just go and do things anyway and not be afraid of what could potentially happen. But then the more you go through life, the more you learn about how you can fail and what can go wrong. And then that prevents you from giving it a go the next time. And I think when I started my podcast, my blog, and I was just going out there and meeting people, I was so clueless. I didn't realize what could actually go wrong or what would actually be a fail. So I just did stuff recklessly, I suppose. And maybe now like I have more confidence in myself, but I'm also much more aware of oh, this could go really, really wrong. Maybe I should take a bit more care with this. (laughs) So there's good and bad to it. I still find that funny though, because I know and I've watched you for the last few years and you've traveled across the world. You've gotten on stage to do stand-up comedy when you've never done it before. You've tried things that most people be like, no, absolutely not. (laughs) I, I will never do that. In the last year, I believe, I believe it was in the last year, you tried busking. And I thought that, okay, that is right up your alley for sure. What are some lessons that you learned from busking? So busking, if people aren't familiar with the term, it's what we call street performing. So you go out onto the street and you sing or you juggle or you do some form of entertainment and you hope that people walking by will give you some money, you know, like a dollar or, you know, if they're generous, $2, right? Right. Sometimes only 20 cents, 50 cents. And I took it upon myself to go and busk on the streets of Melbourne with my ukulele. And I'm not... (laughs) I don't consider myself a musician, but I can, you know, I can kind of sing and I just started to learn ukulele. So I thought I'm going to go do it. One lesson that I learned was that it's just like with anything you do that's scary, it's never as scary as you think it is, as you Mm. think it's going to be. I had to actually get a license to busk. That's what you need to do in Melbourne. Yeah. Cost you $20. And I justified it by saying, well, now I have to make $20 back in order to break even. cover the cost <laughs> to break even. <laughs> this is a real um, real serious business that I started with the basket. No, just kidding. So I thought, okay, I'm going to break even. i got to make my $20 back. I was very gung-ho. I went out and got the license. I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this. It took me a good six months to actually get out there and do it. Mm. And I found myself making all these excuses like, oh, I don't know enough songs yet. Oh, I'm not, I haven't quite perfected this song. Oh, I haven't quite learned all the lyrics yet. I need this many to be able to go and, and sing. Oh, I don't know what the best location is. Is that going to be too busy? Or oh, what if someone else is there? I don't know. I need to do my research and make sure that, that there's a good spot. You know, I was just making up all these excuses as to why I wasn't ready yet. But I reached a point where I was like, Christina, just go and bloody do the thing. Like, what are, you, what are you doing? So I went down there. I was so nervous. And I went to this small laneway. So there weren't, there were no cars. It was just pedestrians. And I didn't have an amplifier. It was just me with my ukulele. And right. as soon as I got up there, I was very nervous putting up my music stand and getting all set up because I was thinking everyone's looking at me, right? Everyone's looking at me and expecting me to perform and do something amazing. But I just set up and I started to play. And as soon as I started to play, my fear just magically melted away. I smiled. I looked at the people walking past. I was singing for them. And I thought, you know what? This is really fun. I can't believe I was even scared. And, you know, no one walked past and threw 
a beer bottle at me. No one walked past saying, you're terrible, right? I had people walking past giving me smiles, giving me thumbs up. They even gave me money, some of them. And, it, and you know, not just, not just my dad and my mom. I had, <laughs> I had random people give me money, which was amazing. And the whole experience was just so much fun. And I loved it. And I came away from that feeling so powerful and thinking, wow, I can do anything. Did you break $20? <laughs> That's the question on everyone's lips. I made, excluding the money from my parents, yes. $53.95. Oh, yeah. Well worth it. How long were you out there? Two hours. That's not too bad. Two hours work. I would say that's a a (laughs) successful experience. I say so. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, yeah, you overcame that fear. Were there any other lessons that you took away from that? Oh, so many lessons. I can't. All right. Let me think of one. Two hours is a long time to sing in one go. Yeah. My voice was quite croaky after that. So, I would say... You're definitely go take your breaks, drink your water. And <laughs> when you can, oh, I learned also, and this relates back to speaking, being able to engage your audience, right? And it's with busking, you've got to engage people as they're walking past. So you've only got a very short amount of time to capture their attention. So I did my best to just smile at people, like look at them in the eyes as they walk past. And I even started to sing songs about the people as they walked past. So I'd be singing and then I would throw in a, I like your hat, you know. As, oh, as nice, nice. And then there was a, a guy who came out of the barber shop and I started singing to him going, there's a man walking out of the barber shop. You're watching me. Thank you, sir. Oh, you're playing on your phone. <laughs> you know, so I was just making up like random lyrics. Oh, that's great. But people yeah. love that. And, and so from that, you know, taking that into a, a professional context when you're speaking, you know, if you can acknowledge the people in the audience and address them and call them by name and really make them feel like they're part of your presentation makes a huge difference. Mm. Did your experience busking change the way you look at other people that busk? Oh, I have so much respect (laughs) for people. I would imagine. So much respect. And empathy too, right? (laughs) And I learned how important it is or or the difference that it makes just giving them some acknowledgement, right? Mm. So people who walked past, it didn't matter if they didn't give me money, but I loved if they even just gave me a thumbs up or a smile. And now I'm actually, I'm more likely to give money to buskers because I know what it's like. And I also walk past and I like to give them that acknowledgement and, or even just comment to them afterwards and say, Hey mate, you're, you're awesome. Keep on doing what you're doing. Because there's nothing worse than standing there and you're singing your little heart out and someone walks past and they just completely ignore you, right? There's just no acknowledgement. They're just completely, you know, maybe they're oblivious or they deliberately avoid you because they don't want to feel obliged to give money. Who knows? But I've learned that acknowledging other humans is powerful beyond measure. Christine, I'm not sure what the tipping culture is like in Australia, but in, in the US, you've lived in the US for a little while, so you know. When you go out to dinner, you go to like a rest as a waiter. I remember this was years ago, but I remember having a whole new appreciation for waiters because <laughs> it is a lot of hard work. And in a lot of cases, you're not making that much money. It depends on what you do or where you're working. But I remember after that job, I'd always, whenever I'd go out to eat and I'd tip the waitress or the waiter, I'd always like have a little bit of empathy for them. <laughs> I'd give them a little bit more. Uh, not like mm-hmm. ridiculous, but just give them a little bit more. And I remember when I was first dating my wife, she'd be like, why are you doing that? That you're tipping too much. And I was like, you've never waited tables. <laughs> like you don't, you don't understand. 
if you've done it, then you get it. Like these people, like they work really hard. So that made me think of that. All right. I uh, got a little off topic there, but I love your story busking. I love how you had the, uh, <laughs> the drive to go out and try that. So good for you. Let's, let's talk stand out, get noticed. Cause that does tie into busking. I mean, you, you live, you practice what you preach. You have mm. a podcast called stand out, get noticed, and you are willing to put yourself in those weird scenarios in order to try new things and do that. So let's talk a little bit about stand out, get noticed. I know it's over a year. It's over 50 episodes going mm-hmm. strong. You've had amazing guests on there. What are some of the takeaways that you've gleaned from having that show this last year? Well, to be able to stick to something for a whole year, especially creating content consistently has been a challenge, but I'm really proud of that body of work that I've created. And like I mentioned before, I had my first podcast at Design Draw Speak. I did that consistently for for nine months and then I stopped and going back to square one was a bit deflating. I was like, oh, I've got to start all over again at episode one. But, you know, I kept at it. And when you keep that momentum, it doesn't seem so hard. And so I'm really proud to have gotten to where I am now. And I, the podcast has been an amazing way for me to share my own lessons with people. And you're right. I do lead by example. When I went busking, I turned that, I recorded the whole set and I edited that down and turned it into a podcast episode. And like with my stand-up comedy, I recorded that and I share that on my podcast. So I show people I am still learning as well, right? I'm not just <laughs> preaching to you and saying, this is how you should build up confidence. This is what you do. I'm saying, look, I'm lacking confidence in certain areas or I feel I have room to grow. So here's what I'm going to do about it. Here's how I'm going to challenge myself. And here's what I did. And here's what I learned from it. And here's how you can apply it too in your own life. So I love being able to do that and be able to share that with a global audience as well as meet and, and chat with interesting and really inspiring people like you, sir. several episodes ago that was your 50th episode and i hope i'm not getting them the numbers wrong but i believe it was either 49 or 50 where you just did a top compilation of some of the lessons learned in that 50 episodes ish and so i was wondering what were a couple of those that stood out to you that you'd be willing to share now a couple of those lessons gonna pull uh, yeah up. that you <laughs> yeah i don't, don't um, mean to put you on to spot, but i editor. really thought that was creative yeah. A lot oh, of podcasters mean, don't do that. Oh, so you mean lessons learned from a year of podcasting? That one? Yes. Yes. But you, yeah, you took different uh, parts of the, of different episodes and just talked about, you know, what, what you learned or, from that. What do you mean from the guests? Lessons. I'm going to say yes. And uh, yes to both. <laughs> okay. Note to Jared's editor, edit that bit out. <laughs> oh, he's good. He'll, yeah, he'll be fine. <laughs> Okay, so I released, it was episode 53, I released an episode which was what I learned from a year of podcasting. And that was not so much what I'd learned from my interview guests, but it was what I'd learned from sticking to something for a whole year and putting things out there. And one lesson that I shared was when you're starting out, you need a copy from other people to help you until you build your own style. And this probably relates more back to when I started with Design Draw Speak. But I, because I was new to podcasting, I looked at people who really inspired me. I was looking at Cliff Ravenscraft, who's been podcasting for years. I was looking at Pat Flynn. 
I was looking at, I remember I, I used to listen to social media examiner for a really long time and I drew inspiration from all of them and I'd go, oh, okay, that's how I'm going to do my intro. That's how I'm going to do my transition music. That's how I'm going to announce myself and, and end it and everything. And that's how I'm going to do my call to action. So I was copying this from other people because that's what I knew. And then over time, as I continued to podcast and I listened to other podcasts and I got feedback from people, I gradually developed my own style and I was able to then tweak it to what suited me and turn it into something that was authentically me. And even with things like the busking and then the stand-up comedy and doing those sorts of episodes with that sort of content, that didn't come to me until much, much later, right? So I started off doing interviews because that's what other people were doing. And that's, to me, that was an easy way to create content. So for anyone who's out there who wants to start something, whether it's a blog or a podcast, or you want to create music, or even if you want to create your own fashion style, a fashion label or something, right? Chances are you're going to start off copying from other people and drawing inspiration from them. And that, I mean, that's why musicians always start playing covers before they start writing their own music. That's how you then develop your own style. And there's a great book by Austin Kleon called Steal Like an Artist, which for any creative person, I recommend you read. Both of his books, Steal Like an Artist and Show Your Work, are amazing and super inspiring. So check them out. Good stuff. Um, Keep going. hmm? Yeah, let's let's, lay it out. I'll just share one more. Um, Please do. The second thing I'll share from that episode is when you're podcasting, if you're creating any sort of content, repurposing is amazing. And I always thought like, oh, it's such a shame when you put all this effort into creating one episode and then that's it. And it just sits in the bowels of our, of iTunes, right? But right. what you can do, what I've learned is that you can take that episode, you can transcribe it, you can take that transcription and turn it into a blog post, or you can write a blog post and turn that into a podcast later down the track. Or you can turn your podcast into a video, right? All my podcasts are on YouTube as well. There's not an actual video, but there's a thumbnail, a still image that sits there while the audio plays. And that's another way my show gets discovered. I'm going to be turning my podcast transcripts into a book. I turn podcasts into Toastmasters features, right? So from one piece of content, you can generate so many different things from it. And it's a great way to stretch your content and your hard work a little bit further. Has the YouTube strategy, has that been productive? In terms of driving traffic to my site, to be honest, I don't look at my stats very often. So I haven't looked at that, but it's a way that people can discover the show through the search engine, through YouTube as a search engine. So I am getting views through there and then I have links on there back to my site. And also some people, I've spoken to people who they don't listen to podcasts, but they like to listen through YouTube. Like YouTube is their preferred channel. So I put it there for those people to listen to. So even if they are subscribed to my blog, right, they may not necessarily want to listen to my content through the podcasting apps. They'd rather go through YouTube. So I put it there for those guys as well. No, that makes sense. I had a guy write to me. He was in the military and he said he didn't, for some reason, like the military base blocked out podcasting, like when he was in his working environment, but he could access YouTube. And so he listened to podcasts through YouTube. So if a, mm. if a podcaster wasn't on YouTube, he had no way to check it out. So mm. yeah, interesting, right? 
let's talk about the Philippines. You recently went to the Philippines. And next thing you know, I'm seeing like all these amazing videos and pictures of you in front of this like <laughs> massive audience. And I'm like, go, Christina. That is so cool. <laughs> so tell us about that experience because it looked amazing. Do you know Rotary International, Jared? I'm not familiar with Rotary International, but I want to. Okay. So it's a huge organization all around the world, hence the international. And it's made up of clubs, you know, in all different cities. And they all meet once a week and their purpose is to do good in the world. You know, they get together, they have fellowship. It's about friendship as well, but they work on projects, helping people less fortunate than themselves. And they do fundraising and and all sorts of things. And another thing that they do is they support young people who are also doing well to help them further with their professional development. And I went on a program of theirs. They actually do study exchanges. They sponsor study exchanges for students, but they also do a vocational exchange, which is what I went on. And they sent myself and three other young professionals to the Philippines. The Rotary Clubs in the Philippines sent four of their young professionals over to Melbourne. So hence the exchange. Yes. And I was there to develop myself professionally, to meet other people who also are professional trainers like myself, learn about how they operate, share with them, you know, how I do things in Australia and to then bring back home knowledge of, you know, this new knowledge and a new understanding and appreciation of, of their culture. So it was a cultural exchange as well. So while I was there, I was there for a whole month stayed with host families and they would organize seminars and meetups and meetings for me. I barely, I didn't have to organize anything because they used all of their contact. So they would say to me, Christina, you're speaking at this school. Christina, you're speaking at this university to this many people. Christina, you're attending this professional training session with this person. And that image that you're referring to is, that was taken in my first week when I spoke to 500 graduating business students. And that was the biggest audience I've ever spoken to. And after that, I came away and I was like, yeah, I, this is what I want to do. I want to speak because I came mm. away from that feeling so energized. I just loved it. Well, you, and you I had them laughing them. and yeah, you, <laughs> they were totally into it. It's such a great feeling to think, wow, I can keep 500 young people engaged for an hour and a half. Right. And I was sharing with them my story. I was sharing with them why it's so important to differentiate yourself and be able to speak and communicate well when you're going for a job, you know, and in the professional environment, because they were all going to graduate with the same degree, but they had no idea how to stand out from the crowd. Mm -hmm. So I was teaching them how to create a great elevator pitch. You know, how do you talk about yourself and be passionate and stand out from the others? And I even sang for them at their request, which was unexpected, but something (laughs) I learned in the Philippines, you tell them that you sing, they make you sing. Doesn't matter Absolutely. where you are, they make you <laughs> sing. <laughs> but you can sing. So yeah, your busking prepared you for that perfectly. So Yes, it did. It taught me how to deal with, you know, the unexpected challenges and curveballs that happen when you are presenting. And after that I came away going, Wow, I can handle anything that comes my way. True. What was the advice that you gave regarding elevator pitches? Ooh. Firstly, I like to say to people Never tell someone your occupation and leave it naked. You know, when people ask you, what do you do? You don't just say, I'm a project manager or I'm an accountant or I'm a lawyer. That's just boring and it's so vague. And often the titles that our companies give us, right, senior designer, 
senior analyst. Like, what is that? It's completely vague and meaningless. And a lot of students will actually say, I'm a student. And it's like, where do you go from there? And if you're talking to someone who could potentially hire you or give you a great opportunity, or even someone who you want to have a great conversation with, if you just give them a one word or two word answer, it gives them very little to grab onto and continue a conversation with, right? Mm -hmm. And you might even have an occupation or do something that the other person, they don't know what it is. You could say, oh, I'm a developer. Someone might be like, I don't, like what sort of developer, like computer developer, building developer, like what, I, I don't even know what, what that is. So what I say to people is you, you can say your occupation, but then expand on that and give some sort of explanation so that they can recognize what it is and grab onto it, right? So you could say, for example, I'm an accountant. I help small business owners get their books in line so that they're not stressed when it comes to tax time, right? And most people can relate to that and they go, oh, okay, so that's who you help and that's how you help them. And you can go on and have a conversation about that. But if you just leave it naked and say, I'm an accountant, that other person's <laughs> going to go, so what? I know yeah. 100 accountants. And they're thinking, why should I talk to you? Why are you special? Right? So it's very important to even just for having great conversations. You can't just answer with one word. Add something else onto it. Christina, one of the things that you've done in addition to all this cool stuff is you've been active on Fiverr. And mm. some of that, you got involved and you tried it out and you were having some success and you paused on it. Now you're, you're testing it again. And I've tried Fiverr and I haven't really had much success. I think a lot of people listening to the show are familiar with Fiverr. So tell us about your Fiverr experiment. What are you doing? And yeah, for some people, they might think, well, this is just something she's trying, but you're actually generating really good leads and, and business from this. Yeah. So let's hear about that. <laughs> I'm a voiceover artist on Fiverr. So if anyone should. out there, yeah, if anyone needs a podcast introduction or an answer machine message or someone to do their online courses, I'm your gal. If you, well, that is if you want an Australian, a friendly Australian voice for it. I got into it because people would say to me, you've got such a good voice. You should do voiceover work. And I kept saying, yeah, 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 whatever, whatever. Until one day, I think a friend of mine who used to be a radio broadcaster, he said, no, nah, just put yourself on Elance or something and see what happens. And I was like, all right. So I signed up for Fiverr. And I just put a sample there of, you know, what I, what, what my voice sounds like. I had the podcast equipment already. So getting the quality good was easy. And I put my initial gig was $5 for a hundred words, right? Anything under a hundred words. And of course with Fiverr, obviously $5 is not a lot of money, especially if you're living in Australia, like you're lucky if that gets you a, a coffee. So right. I did a few of those cheap gigs until I got, you know, a handful of really good reviews. And then after that, I dropped it down to, it was $5 for 50 words. And, mm. and, and now if any other word above 50 words is 30 cents a word, right? So I started to do that. And the cool thing about being an Australian voiceover artist is that you can't outsource that to India. So like right. if I quote someone, they can't go, oh, that's too expensive. I'll just get an Indian person to do it. You can't because they're Indian and I'm Australian. They're not going to have the Australian accent. So I started to do those jobs and I've done so many jobs now. I wait, let me see. Let me just check my Fiverr now. I've managed to, and sometimes if I'm really busy with my other work, right, I would write back to people and I'd say, sorry, the minimum is this amount. Sorry, I'm not doing jobs under $50 or sorry, I'm not doing jobs under $80. 
sometimes people go, okay, sure, I'll go to someone else. And then other times they go, yeah, okay, I'll pay that. And then every now and again, I get people writing to me saying, Christina, I've, I've got a quite a large job. It's these many words. It's going to take this many hours. And then I actually, you're not supposed to do this on Fiverr, but I, I email them outside of Fiverr and I say, hey, let's do this properly outside Fiverr because Fiverr does take 20% commission. And yeah. to make it easier on everyone, I prefer to invoice people privately anyway through my business. Sure. So yeah. I take large jobs off Fiverr but it's a great way for me to market those services because I don't pay anything to be on Fiverr and people will, clients will go to Fiverr searching for an Australian voiceover artist. They'll find me and then contact me and then we take it from there. How do you extend the communication, but not via Fiverr? If they're in Australia, I will put in my phone number and I'll say, hey, give me a call or ask them for their phone number. Sometimes you can see from their username, you can find them on LinkedIn and find their company and contact them oh, okay. through there. Because if you actually write in there, hey, send me an email, Fiverr will pick up on that and will say, you're not allowed to communicate outside Fiverr. Yeah. Or they, or they don't allow you to put in an email address or something. I, rem- no. I remember something like that. Yeah. yeah. They can pick up on that, but they don't pick up on phone numbers. And you could ask them, hey, what's your LinkedIn or something like that. I've managed to find a way, but if they're within your country, I find phone numbers is the easiest way to go. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And so, yeah, so that's something that you're doing consistently now. That sounds pretty cool. And one of those actually led to a really big opportunity. Am I right? Yeah. A lady sent me a request to, she asked me to quote for this job and it was quite a big job. And I quoted her about $3,000 and she came back and she said, yeah, that sounds great. And so I'm working on that now. That's the biggest voiceover job I've got. And for me, like it's very easy work and it's good because, you know, this income is a supplement to my other income through the C method business, like through my coaching, through my speaking and all of that. I have these multiple revenue streams and I don't tell many people about the voiceover work because that's not, I don't want that to become my main business. I prefer to do the C method stuff, the coaching. That's what I really love. The voiceover stuff is easy and, you know, very easy to knock over. And it pays good money. So I continue to do it. Yeah, no shame in that. I think that's smart. As you're continuing to grow your business, you need you know little projects here and there that keep you going. So this is just one of those ways of doing that. Mm. Another thing with yeah. Fiverr, if, if people are thinking of getting on there, if you Fiverr actually ta- it takes you about 30 days for your revenue to come through. This is another sneaky thing they do. They hold on to the funds once you've delivered and they've paid you the Fiverr holds onto the funds for 30 days before it goes into your account. So, wow. yeah. So that's another reason why I prefer to take it off Fiverr for the larger jobs anyway, because then at least you can yeah. employ someone and get them to pay you upfront. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And you're not having to wait 30 days. Mm-hmm. Wow. I wonder why they do that that way. That's, that's bizarre. Well, they can make interest on all of that money that uh, they're holding, right? Uh, Sneaky, yeah. yeah? Mm-hmm. And you think they make it off the twenty percent commission? No, nah, it's the interest that they're gaining. That's I don't know. Yeah, that they probably for, make more know. on the interest. Yeah, the, uh, I don't know that for a fact, but I can't think of any other reason why they would hold on to your money like that. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, let's close with you got a cool speaking opportunity this summer in Chicago. Oh, let's I do. Talk about, <laughs> let's talk about Chicago. I cannot wait to come to Podcast Movement. I'm so excited, and I'm so humbled that you guys accepted my proposal and have given me my own speaking gig. I will be speaking about how to be confident behind the microphone and how to fall in love with your own voice. (laughs) 
Well, I know it's going to be a good presentation. I've been fortunate to see some of your other presentations, and you always bring the goods, Christina. You're always fun, entertaining, informative, all that. So it's going to be a great session. I'm looking forward to it. And are you excited to come back to the U.S.? Because it's been been a little while, right? It's been a couple, of, oh, almost a couple of years. Mm-hmm. I it's been about 18 months. Oh no, I'd say a couple of years. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to come back. The U.S. was the first place I moved when I quit my job and started my first blog and this whole journey. And the people in America were nothing but supportive of me. And I'm so grateful for that opportunity that I had to come over. So I cannot wait to come back and reconnect with all my podcasting friends. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have you have a nice little, I'll call it a following here in the US. So hopefully you'll get a chance to <laughs> do some meetups or something. Yeah. You guys think I'm the most creative person ever which is great. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely think you're one of the more creative people I've met for sure. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you, you just think differently and you totally live by you know the title of your podcast. You stand out and you get noticed and teach other people how to do that. So hope people will check out that podcast. Where can they learn more about that? That is The C Method. Remember C for Christina and communication. Mm-hmm. Thecmethod.com. And you can tweet me at CJ Cantors, C-A-N-T-E-R-S. Definitely do that. Christina's fun on Twitter. So Christina, do you have any final thoughts? Final thoughts. Keep on listening to Jared's podcast. (laughs) (laughs) He's a great (laughs) great interviewer, a really great interviewer. And that for that alone, worth listening to because great interviewers get great responses out of their guests. Never tell someone your occupation and leave it naked. You know, when people ask you what do you do, don't just say, I'm a project manager or I'm an accountant or I'm a lawyer. That's just boring and it's so vague. And often the titles that our companies give us, right, senior designer, senior analyst, like what is that? It's completely vague and meaningless. And if you're talking to someone who could potentially hire you or give you a great opportunity or even someone who you want to have a great conversation with, if you just give them a one word or two word answer, it gives them very little to grab onto and continue a conversation with. Say your occupation, but then expand on that and give some sort of explanation so that they can recognize what it is and grab onto it. 